Hello, you're listening to Texas Biobites from Texas Biomed. I'm your host, Wendy Rigby. What's the latest buzz about Zika? The mosquito-borne virus is still infecting people around the globe, even in the U.S., and putting unborn babies in particular at risk. Texas Biomed has just won a grant from the federal government to test two different ways of immunizing pregnant women. The idea is to prevent transmission of the infectious disease from expectant woman to her child. I'm Jean Patterson. I'm a professor and I study viruses. Tell us about this new grant. Who is it from and who are you partnering with? The grant is from the Department of Defense. It's a program called the Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program. So Congress sets up um, areas that they're interested in seeing the DOD support research. This particular grant has to have two PIs from different institutions. It's called a partnering PI. The partner is Marcy Blackman from Trudeau Institute, and then I'm the PI here in Texas Biomed. So why is the Department of Defense interested in studying Zika? They're interested in most tropical diseases, for one. Also, we have service people that are in the areas where Zika is now becoming an epidemic. And again, of course, the important issue is pregnancy, and we also have pregnant service people that are in endemic areas. What will this grant fund? The grant from our side will fund marmoset studies where we look at intervention after a marmoset is pregnant, acquires a Zika infection, and can we intervene at that point to block infection to the uterus and the fetus. So that's been one of the issues, right, that even if the mother clears the disease, the unborn infant can still have it. Right, exactly. Um, One of the issues we've had is could, say, a woman become pregnant and then she has to go to an epidemic area. Could we then vaccinate her after she's pregnant but before she's been infected and will she not acquire a Zika infection? One of the other things we're going to do is Walter Reed Medical Institute has developed a formal inactivated vaccine, and they've also given it to humans already as a safety test. And so these people have blood which has the vaccinated antibodies to them. So we're going to transfer those antibodies from humans to marmosets after pregnancy to see if that could, in fact, block an infection. Zika has been around for decades, but the virus roared into the headlines when it caused a spate of terrible birth defects in Brazil four years ago. Give us a little background on Zika itself. Where are we now in what we know about this disease? What we know is that it is a typical floppy virus. It originated in Africa. It was initially discovered in, in the 40s. It traveled around the globe, going through Malaysia, Indonesia, and eventually arrived in South America, particularly Brazil, 2014-2015. And at that point, there was a huge upsurge in microcephaly in infants, and then it was ultimately found to be associated with the Zika um, arrival. Now, we have had cases of Zika that was acquired locally in Florida and in Texas, and most probably in other states in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's the problem, of course, is testing. If you're not testing, you're not finding it. Places like Houston have been very proactive. They have uh, investigators there that are they're very much involved in, this, in a Zika surveillance program. So you're going to see it more where you have a surveillance program than where you don't surveil. This has always been kind of an amusing part of virology is if you're not looking, you don't find it.
But it's definitely here. The question is, when it occurred in South America, there's such a heavy mosquito population that when it first arrived, probably a lot of people were exposed to it because they just have a lot of mosquitoes in, in, in crowded in, um, habitats. In the U.S., we're fortunate that we have screens and we know to avoid mosquitoes. We know to avoid dawn and dusk and that type of thing, which is why we don't have malaria. That's a mosquito-borne disease as well. Um, one of the biggest hotspots of malaria before the you know, Revolutionary War was Washington, D.C. area. It had huge malaria problem, but we've learned to block, you know, large um, bites by mosquitoes. So when it got to Brazil, probably everybody was pretty much exposed to it, pretty, pretty much at the same time, which means that it, it's not going to be circulating all the time in the population because everybody's already immune. In the U.S., where not everyone has obviously been exposed to it, a mosquito could come in and bite someone and, and produce a new case periodically. What often happens with flaviviruses in places where it's truly endemic, where it's there all the time, is that you'll see a rise in it for seven years and then it'll fall down. And then you won't see it for a while. And then, you, then it's sort of a seven-year cycle of up and down because you have new people being born and the new people being born can then be, be bit by a mosquito and start. But again, which is why it's most often seen in children. Dengue is most prevalent in children because they're the ones that are not immune to it. So they're the ones that get the infections and can get sick. So let me clarify then, once you get Zika, you can't get it again. That's right. We believe that it, it induces lifelong immunity. While Texas Biomed is providing the non-human primate animal models and the expertise in virology for this project, partners in New York are looking at other aspects of a possible Zika vaccine. So your partner at Trudeau Institute, what will her role be in this investigation? She's an immunologist, and they're looking at antibody-dependent enhancement, which is a phenomenon that we know occurs in dengue, and where if you get one strain of dengue, you can get what they call breakbone fever. If you get a second strain, we believe you can then get hemorrhagic syndrome, which is, which is a much more severe form. The current hypothesis is it's a second infection is where you get hemorrhagic syndrome. So they're experts in immunology, and they're looking at that, but they're also doing mouse pregnancy experiments with the same um, treatments and vaccines that we'll be looking at with the monkeys. Why does there need to be this dual-armed study with mice and non-human primates? Well, traditionally, it makes a lot of sense to start with smaller, cheaper animal models than to go immediately into a monkey. Sometimes it doesn't matter because it turns out that the mouse isn't predictive of, say, a vaccine works. We know that there's lots of herpes vaccines were tested in mice that never proved to be protective in humans, so it wasn't a good indicator. It wasn't a good predictor. However, there are some things we can do with mice, such as looking at enhancement and looking at this particular placental model in mice that gives us some hint. But generally, we often start with a mouse and then move to monkey. Doing them at the same time, might this speed up some of the results? Right, we're gonna, we're gonna do it at the same time. And, but again, they can do more of their immunology because they have all kinds of different mice that can be utilized. It. We don't have the kind of genetic knockouts and that kind of thing that you, in monkeys that they have in, in mice. Why are marmosets a particularly good model for this disease? They're particularly good because, first of all, they can breed all year long. Uh, lots of monkeys, like macaques, breed once a year. So as soon as a, a marmoset female gives birth, she can get pregnant again. It's very um, restrictive in how many animals you can look at during pregnancy if you're only breeding once a year. And th these are very expensive animals to have. To take a pregnant monkey out of the colony reduces the colony more quickly than if you're using, say, a male. It's year-round. It's smaller, so we can have more of them. They often twin or triplet, so we have more material 
material to look at. And we know a lot about the reproductive cycle of the marmoset and, and exactly, the, the, we certainly know a lot about the placenta, which is not true of all other monkey populations. Is there a sense of urgency in the scientific community to find an effective vaccine for Zika that can be given to pregnant women? Absolutely. To, to mass vaccinate people takes some time, but obviously people are being infected now. And if there's something we could do to intervene right now for a pregnant woman who's at risk and her fetus is at risk, it's certainly something we want to be looking at. I think most of the, the work being done now is how do we intervene during pregnancy since that's where the risk is. And then perhaps find ways to protect the population in general. Right, sure. We, we, we move to that as well. Uh, these are all going on. Obviously, none is, you know, one isn't mutually exclusive, but certainly for people that are at risk, we want to make the vaccine available to pregnant women as soon as possible. So how long is this grant for and how much money are we talking about and what will that money fund? Two million dollar total for three years. It will fund the purchasing of the monkeys, it will fund all the procedures done on the monkeys, support salaries of the people working on the monkeys, and the reagents necessary to propagate virus, et cetera. We're going to have the vaccine itself, and we're going to have blood from humans that have been vaccinated with this vaccine. Are there other vaccines being formulated in other institutes there, around the world? Almost everyone with a platform for vaccine development is probably looking at Zika. So there are DNA vaccines, there's live attenuated vaccines, there's, you know, there's adeno-associated. All of the different platforms are being utilized. Again, this is something that, you know, eventually we'll try to determine what is the most efficient and efficacious vaccine, what is the safest vaccine, and what is the easiest to administer. So you feel like you're working on this one piece of a much larger puzzle. Absolutely. Our focus is trying to see if we can intervene in pregnancy. How does this fit into the mission of Texas Biomed? Well, we're interested in global health, and this is clearly a global health issue. You've been listening to Texas Biobites from Texas Biomed. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. You can go to our website, txbiomed.org, and search for podcasts. There, you can sign up by email, or you can find us on most popular podcast hosting sites. We love sharing our science. Thanks for listening. I'm Wendy Rigby.